I'd just like to say it is great to be back, and um, Richard's already welcomed everyone to church, and I want to do the same. Um, I thank the people who have come up and asked me about Michelle's and my trip to Adelaide. Last weekend, most of, um, for the most part, Michelle and I had a good time catching up um, with our family, and we are both extremely excited as our daughter's baby is due this week. And um, so she is getting ready and uh, everything is going along according to plan. So the beaming smile is to do, to do with that. So it was hard to leave because um, we're only there for two days and um, um, we were there for um, a niece's wedding. But, um, yeah. Um, but I'd also personally like to thank Wes for, for stepping in and um, preaching for me last week. After a bit of a break, um, as Richard said today, I'm continuing the service the sermons that I've been looking at in the book of Acts from the early church. And I've been looking at what really makes a genuine church. And so far, I've covered a genuine church is teachable, a genuine church is fighting for fellowship, and a genuine church is celebrating the forgiveness they have received. I've got all these three points from one verse, which is chapter 2, verse 42, which says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So... You guessed it, today I'm speaking on prayer and I'm saying that a genuine church is prayerful. Now, just before I start this sermon today, I want to be upfront with you. I feel very inadequate in doing a sermon on prayer because I personally know prayer is one of those topics and spiritual disciplines that I struggle with most in my life. You know, I've met some prayer warriors in my time people that can spend hours in prayer, and I'm astonished at their commitment. I believe they're the ones who should be preaching on being devoted to prayer because they live it, and I know I don't. I can remember doing essays and tutorials while in college on the topic of prayer, and I found it quite difficult. I remember it wasn't that long ago when my church in Queensland come up to me and said, Garth, can you do a sermon series on prayer, to which I said, no, I can't. Um, But I did. I I ended up doing a six-week series on prayer, and it was one of the hardest series I've ever done in my life. Why do I struggle? Well, before I start preaching on prayer, I want to paint a bit of a picture for you on why I find this topic of prayer so confusing. And thankfully, probably none of you are like me. So many thoughts go through my head about prayer. Have you ever really stopped and listened to someone pray? The language we use is quite bizarre. We use the word just a lot in prayer. Lord, I just want to ask this and I just do this and I just do that. How often do you use that word in other conversations? I've never walked up to my parents or grandma and said, Grandma, I just want to ask you, can I just go down to the shops just to buy some milk? But we do it in prayer. It's like we're saying to God, we just want to ask you this but we don't really ask him. Then we have other people pray, oh, this morning I'd like to pray for Arnie Dot, who's in hospital, who had an operation last Tuesday. I think, why do people pray like that? Because God knows that. God knows who Arnie Dot is. God knows that she was in hospital. Why do that? And then most churches I've been involved in have prayer chains, you know, where you ring up someone and you get a whole lot of people praying about one thing. And I find this quite confusing as well because I ask myself, is prayer more powerful 
when other people pray for the same thing? Or does one person praying carry the same weight, so to speak? I've searched help with prayer and asked people about the topic throughout my Christian life. This turns out not to be a good idea as well, because when I ask people about their belief about prayer and how it's done in their life, I'm still left with more questions and answers. Some have told me they have a strong prayer life. And I say, oh, why is that? They say, because I make sure I pray at least once a day. But they have also have a different understanding of when to pray. Some people have said to me, the most important prayer you can do as a Christian is in the morning because you can't dare start the day off without praying about asking God to commit your day to him. Others said, nah, the most important prayer is at night. You must get on your knees at night and thank God for the day that you have because that way you have a thankful heart. Others do it before meals and they said that's to, to thank God for his provision. Others have told me you should make prayer a discipline in your life. Others have said, nah, you don't have to worry that much. Only pray in emergencies because that's when prayer is really powerful. Then when it comes to God answering prayers, this seems to be confusion as well. Some people told me God will only answer prayers when you pray in Jesus' name. Others have said, nah, that's rubbish. It's got nothing to do with our words. The answer to prayer is determined by our belief. Prayer and belief must work together. And they'll say to me, Garth, if you're not believing, that stops prayer working. But I know for my own life, I've prayed prayers with great belief and had no answers. And I've also prayed prayers that I never expected anything and I got, it, I got an answer. Do you know, then there's a great comment that we make. Do you know, when someone's going for a job, like when I was going for this one or any job, people often say, Garth, if God wants you to get it, you'll get it. And I often come back to them people, I'm saying, okay, is it possible for a Christian to get a job that God doesn't really want them to have? Now, I've flipped it, haven't I? And I was talking to my daughter about this because she's saying, Garth, if God wants you to have Pakenham, you'll get Pakenham. Yeah, but I said, but Zoe, what if I work my heart out to get Pakenham when probably God doesn't want me? I said, is it possible for me to do stuff to get Pakenham when God doesn't want me to get Pakenham? I said, is it possible for a Christian to get a job that God really doesn't want them to get? And she said, no, not as long as they are praying. She said, if you are praying for God to open or close doors, then it won't happen. And I know an elder at our church, he used to really struggle because people used to say to him, there's power in prayer. And he used to stand up in our church and say, don't ever believe there's power in prayer. He said, there's no power in prayer. He said, the power is in the one who we is receiving the prayer. I even have friends said to me that my prayer doesn't work. Prayer's a waste of time. Why pray? Yet I can tell you those same friends when facing a crisis, guess what they do? They pray. I've asked them, why do you pray? You don't even believe in prayer. Why do you pray in these times? And sadly their answer is, what could it hurt? So, so many confusing people confusing me even more. But I've always said, whatever we believe must come from Scripture. And now you're about to find out why I found essays and sermons difficult as well. These are some of the things we're told about prayer in the Bible. We're told that God knows our needs before we ask. So why ask? 
I can remember when Matt and Zoe got married, Michelle made a comment to me, look, we already know God's gone before them. We already know that God would look after them. We already know that God's going to provide for them, but we, would still, we should still pray anyway. Why? God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us, yet we'll pray for people that God won't leave them or forsake them. God has promised that all things will work together for good of those who love him, yet we will pray God's goodness into people's lives. Do we need to do that? Then we have James telling us that we don't have because we don't ask. So there is, is, so there is a truth that, yes, God knows your needs, but is that the truth that he's not going to give them to you unless you ask? Then we can ask, how long should we pray for something? Jesus made the comment to his people that they should always pray, not give up, never grow faint. Yet one, John tells us that we can have confidence that if we ask, God hears us. Jesus himself also says, ask and it will be given. But what if we have asked and it hasn't been given? Is that a no from God, that we haven't been given what we've asked for? Or is that the time when we should be like the persistent widow and keep asking? Is that the time when Jesus says, never give up or grow faint? The Bible also teaches us about praying out loud. Yet, you know, I know people who in ordinary life can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. Getting them to shut up is quite a difficult thing. Yet I've never heard them pray out loud. And I've asked them to pray out loud and they say, I can't. I can't pray out loud. Other people have said, I never pray out loud because it's unscriptural. I ask them why. And they say, well, Matthew 6 says, go into your room, close the door and pray. And finally, the Bible teaches us that Jesus himself prayed. This to me is one of those staggering yet confusing truths. Now, just before you say, Garth, what are you talking about? Why is there any confusion about that? Of course, Jesus prayed. Just stop and think about it for a moment that Jesus prayed. I can't help but think if there was anyone in our human history that didn't need to pray, it was Jesus. He was the King of Kings. He was the Lord of Lords. He was the incarnation of the all-powerful. He had power over men, over the devil, over creation, over diseases and over death. Yet, with all this power and authority, what need did he have to pray? He had everything, yet we're told he prayed. Even with all this power and authority, even with the fact that he was God himself, there are numerous examples in the gospel that he prayed. And the fact that his prayers are recorded tells us that he must have prayed aloud. Now, I know I've gone on a bit, but as I said, I wanted to give you a picture of why I find this topic of prayer a difficult subject. I don't know if you've ever really done what I've done and sat down and studied it and looked at it. Probably it's not a good thing to do. Because I, if I am, what I'm saying is, this is what the early church was devoted to. What were they devoted to? It says they were devoted to prayer. So as a church, we need to be devoted to prayer. But what does that mean? How do we do that? How does a genuine church fit together all these different ideas on prayer to come up with a neat little package? How can we not only be a genuine church, but how can we be a church that prays genuinely. I guess for most Christians, when it comes to prayer, the most passages that they will quote to you to use as a reference is, that, is on the Lord's Prayer. 
the ones we find in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. But again, even with these two passages, there's some confusion because they don't match perfectly. In Matthew, Jesus is teaching on prayer. It's part of his Sermon on the Mount. When Luke talks about it, Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer, it's on a journey to Jerusalem. And after one of his followers here in pray, he says, can you teach us how to pray? Well, today I'm going to look at the passage from Matthew 6. The interesting thing is Jesus doesn't start off by telling us how to pray. And I think there's wise words in that. He starts off by telling us how not to pray. And to help us understand how not to pray, he uses certain people's prayers as examples of how not to do it. And here's the first. He says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. So the first thing he says is don't pray like hypocrites. What is praying like hypocrites? Have you ever asked yourself that question? The word hypocrite in the Bible means acting or to put on a mask. So in the Christian life, a hypocrite is somebody who tries to appear more spiritual than what they are. It's an act. It's doing something. So most scholars conclude that when Jesus is referring to the prayer of the hypocrite, he's referring to the prayer of the self-righteous. How do they pray? They pray in a way to build themselves up in front of others. Have you ever done this? Sadly, I know I've prayed the prayer of self-righteousness quite a lot. After my parents separated, I went and lived with my grandparents. My grandparents always used to like to say grace before every meal. So as a child, I was encouraged to say grace before every meal as well. I can remember the scene quite vividly, done this hundreds of times. I would fold my hands, close my eyes and say, God is gracious, God is good, we thank you for our daily food, amen. Sometimes I said it quickly because I was hungry. My grandparents sometimes said to me, I said it so quickly, it was like I was speaking in tongues. Other times I said it really slowly because I knew my brothers were hungry or they were in a hurry to go out somewhere. But let me tell you, regardless of how fast or how slow I said it, these prayers weren't really said to thank God for his grace and daily food. They were said to please my grandparents or upset my brothers. I had repeated this prayer for years, yet the truth was I'd never prayed at all. Now, you may think that's not so bad. I mean, probably all kids do that. But when I became a Christian as a teenager, that's when the problem really took hold of my life. You see, I saw that in church and Bible groups, those people who prayed eloquently, emotionally and powerfully, they were seen as God-honouring people. So you know what I did? I'm sure you guessed it. I began to listen to those prayers intently of others and I would take notes of the words and the phrases that others seemed to like. And then when it came my turn to pray, I would use them. I quickly learned that I could craft a prayer with good words that would impress those around me. People did start to comment about my prayers. Sadly, that only fueled my fire. And I prayed the prayer of self-righteousness more and more because they said how good it was to listen to a young man pray in such a manner. 
To those around me, my prayers may have seemed powerful and genuine, but I think deep down I knew they were empty. They were just for show. They were the only reason I was opening my mouth. They were not proper prayers. When I prayed this way, my true purpose was to pray a prayer that would impress people rather than impress God. This kind of prayer was all about me. Look at me. Listen to me. Be impressed with me rather than praying to God for the benefit of my life and my walk with him, I was praying so others would look at me. This Jesus called praying like hypocrites. To pray this way is to perform, to act, to put on a mask. I remember a pastor from Toowoomba at one of our meeting days shared with us a great lesson he learned on this very topic. He preached a sermon on responsibility to the poor. He ended the service with a prayer asking God to help him and his church be God's hands and feet to others in times of need in Toowoomba. Of course, all good Baptists finished with a strong echoing amen to his prayer. He didn't think much of this until something happened that rocked him. As he was leaving church to go home, a young woman walked up to him in the car park. She hesitantly asked if he could help her with some food. He said to us, other pastors, instantly now we would expect the story to continue by him telling us how thankful that he was that God answered his prayer. But instead, sadly, he told us that wasn't his first reaction. He was just thinking about getting home to relax and be with his family on a Sunday afternoon. And so in a way, this woman coming up to him was a little bit of inconvenience. Now, he did help this lady. He gave her money and some food vouchers and stuff like that. But then the lesson came. He said, as this young lady prepared to leave, she turned to him with his eyes filled with her eyes filled with tears and said to him, young man, you are a real answer to prayer. Now, you may not agree with him, but as he heard those words, the thought went through his head, no, I'm not. He said in that car park he'd already forgotten the words he prayed in the pulpit only a few hours beforehand. He said, I knew guilt rather than compassion compelled him to help her. Like me, I guess he felt his prayers may have been powering and stirring, but he knew they were empty. However, there was one true prayer that morning. Who was the true prayer that morning? He said, the lady. Her prayer had been humble and heartfelt to God. Her prayer, um, his prayer was from the pulpit, was only to end a service. She had been asking God and hoped for an answer while he hadn't expected one at all. I'm not sure if you've ever prayed a self-righteous prayer like me or my pastor friend, prayers that we pray to impress those who are listening. But as you can see, this is Jesus' starting point of prayer. Don't pray like that. Don't pray like the hypocrites. I guess the only good news for people who pray like this and Jesus says it. They have received their reward in full. What reward? People have heard your prayer and people liked it. And so when I prayed the prayer of a hypocrite, when I was out there putting on a show, people come up to me and said, Garth, great prayer. It's good to see a young man preach so mightily. That was my reward. 
So why does Jesus warn his disciples not to pray like that? Because the prayer of the self-righteous is always a one-way conversation. It is always going from here to here. There is no need to listen for God's reply because we've already received our reward. Others have heard the prayer, but not God. So what's the answer to this dilemma? Or how do we stop this? He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus gives the advice of don't pray in front of others. Pray in empty rooms with the door shut. He says, when you pray like that, God not only hears your prayers, he rewards your prayers. Now, as I've said before, I've heard people build a theology on this, saying we shouldn't pray out loud in groups or in churches because Jesus says, don't do that. We should be praying in private. I can't help but think to do that, we are taking these words out of context. We must remember, why is Jesus saying to pray in private? To stop the prayer of self-righteousness. Prayers like mine, those on display for people, that's what he's wanting to stop. So going into rooms for private prayer isn't condemning public prayer. For the Jews, public prayer was a must. It's something they did. This verse is condemning or trying to stop performance prayers, not public prayers. I have seen and heard people pray amazing public prayers in groups, but they weren't wrong. They were heartfelt prayers. I can tell for them as they were praying, it was like it was only them and God in that room. I do understand why this passage can be confusing for people who don't have the problem of saying, of performing prayers to impress others. But I think most people who pray like this or have this sin know they do it. Well, I did. I knew 100% what I was doing. They know they have a problem with praying like hypocrites. So they truly understand Jesus' words when he says, go into a room, close the door and pray privately. Why would I want to do that? Because then no one can hear me. It is so hard to pray an impressive prayer for people to hear when you're in your closet. So it seems that God is not interested or impressed by the emotion or powerful words in our prayers. In truth, God is listening to our hearts. A humble, honest, heartfelt prayer is never despised. Indeed, this is the kind of prayer God answers. A well-crafted prayer is worthless when our words don't match our hearts. So that's his first point. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Now the next group of people we shouldn't pray like. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. He says, don't pray like pagans. Praying like the hypocrites is a self-righteous prayer. What's the meaning behind praying in the pagans? That's the prayer of self-interest. What is the trap here? If we go to God with many prayers, then chances are we'll get what we want. Like the hypocrite's prayer, the prayer of self-righteous is not a proper prayer. It's motivated by greed. You know, no one had to teach me this prayer. It came naturally. It seemed in December I would address my request to Santa Claus, but for the rest of the year I would address them to God. As a child, I would pray for toys. Dear God, give me a new bike. Dear God, give me those roller skates. When I didn't get it, I didn't see that as a no. I just kept asking. 
when I prayed this way, my concern isn't about prayer with God. My concern is how do I get God to give me what I want? My desire is to manipulate God rather than know God. I act as if God will only give me what I want if I'm using the right words and babbling on. Sadly, there are those around today who encourage this type of prayer for toys. But the toys aren't bikes and roller skates, as the saying goes. Bigger boys need bigger toys. They encourage people to pray for bigger houses, for more expensive cars, or for bigger bank balances. Let me tell you, their message is seductive because it is clothed in religious jargon. They use terminology like, you're a child of the king, so you deserve to live like a prince. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. God blesses those he loves. The worst thing is I've heard people defend this bad teaching through scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of the heart, they say. Ask and it will be given to you, they say. You may ask, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it, they say. The basic message of this lie is God will meet the desires of your heart. If the desires of your heart is a red Corvette, then all you need to do is name it in Jesus' name and guess what? It's yours. Prayer was the means of prosperity. Prayer was all about self-interest. Prayer was all about getting what they want. While we can look at people who do this from material things and boldly say that's not true, I think as Christians we can get sucked in or don't see it's wrong when people do this with spiritual things. What do I mean? Will they replace the word cars or jobs or bank balances with the words of God's blessing, God's healing or God's protection? When people push us to continue to pray for these kind of prayers, we should be alarmed and avoid prayers like this. Why? It's still a prayer all about me. Bless me. Protect me. Make me healthy. Take care of me. Jesus called his followers not to pray like pagans. He knows to pray that way was idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything before God. The prayer of pagans is more interested in getting God's blessings than discerning God's will. Is it offensive? It, because it's not a prayer at all. So as you can see, Jesus was especially offended by two kinds of prayers, praying like the hypocrites and praying like the pagans. These prayers show a really unhealthy attitude towards prayer. If you've got them, if you've lived them, go to the foot of the cross, confess them and move on. We need to acknowledge how easily we at times pray the wrong prayers for the wrong reasons. The prayers we recite reveal more about us than about God. They can come from wrong motives. They expose our selfish and our misconceptions about God. We need to judge our prayers by our motives as much as our words. Prayer motivated by anger, selfishness, mistrust are not good models. When we pray for others to be cursed, we expose our lack of grace and mercy. When we seek personal blessing, we display our selfishness. When we become convinced certain words or actions will produce certain results, we turn prayer into nothing more than magic. When prayer becomes a means of getting what we want, we make God into a waiter visibly scrolling down our order. Such prayers are serious matters because they pertain the, the position of our heart and the condition of our minds. 
So that's the negative. You all look pretty depressed and so you should be. But now, for the positive, that's not how to pray. Now, I guess you're all expecting me to tell you how to pray by using the Lord's Prayer as an example. Well, you may be surprised I'm not going to do that. As I said, I still have a lot of confusion about what is the right way to pray. This is the guy that came up to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. I find it interesting. I talk to people from other religions and they find it staggering that Christians really struggle on knowing how to pray. I've got a Muslim friend. He doesn't have to go to Allah and ask how do we pray. He knows how to pray. He knows what to recite. He knows where to stand. He knows where to look. Tibetan monks, they know how to pray. They know what to do. Um, Jews, they know. But while I can't quite easily understand that, I think to give you a formula on how to pray would be the wrong thing. I think a formula in prayer is a wrong thing. Why? Because we are human. If we say that Christianity is a relationship, then prayer is a communication. And let me tell you, I'm one who studied communication through my counselling. We all communicate differently. Every single one of us communicates differently to our wives, our children, our parents. Yet why do we as a Christian church expect everyone to come together and communicate to God in the exactly same way? I can't give you a formula on how to pray properly because you communicate differently than what I do. While I'm not giving you a formula on how to pray, I'm going to say it is so important in your life and in the life of this church that we have a devotion towards prayer because a devotion towards prayer is what that early church had. These 3,000 new converts on the day of Pentecost became devoted to prayer. What were they devoted to? I don't know, prayer. A devotion towards prayer is far more than a question of whether we close our eyes during prayer. It's a far more than whether we fall on our knees, whether we lift our hands or line our face. I think most of us would agree on some kinds of prayer that would not be calling being devoted to prayer. Praying only in a crisis when something enters your life, that's not a pattern of being devoted to prayer. Praying only at mealtimes, that's not a pattern of being devoted to prayer. A short, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer at night isn't being devoted to prayer. A hit and miss prayer of help me find a car park is not being devoted to prayer. I want to say all those are good. I'm not putting them down. But what I'm trying to portray, and probably not doing a very good job of it, is we need to have an attitude of being prayerful. I think being devoted to prayer is so much more than what we say. A devotion to prayer is not about finding the right words and the correct formula in addressing God. It's not about impressing others or getting what we want. A devotion to prayer is so much more. It's a matter of humility and trust. It is a commitment to a whole new way of living. Prayer is about a whole new way of living. There's a story about D.L. Moody making a visit to a Scotland in the 1800s to a local school, and he asked what he thought was a rhetorical question. He didn't expect an answer. But he, he made a comment, what is prayer? To his amazement, hundreds of children's hands went up. So he thought, well, I better not move on. And he decided to call on this young lad who sat near the front, who promptly stood up and said, 
Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with his confession of sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. This is the answer to question 98 in the Westminster Catechism. To which Moody responded by saying, be thankful, my son, that you were born in Scotland. In our prayers, do we recognise our utter dependence upon God? When we go to God in prayer, is our devotion our complete and utter need? Do we trust God to faithfully meet our needs, especially when life seems to hit rock bottom? Prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God and our need for deliverance. That's the attitude I believe we have in prayer. That's the kind of praying that we need to be devoted to. Is there a, par a pattern of prayer in your life that can be called being devoted to prayer? Is there a pattern of prayer in your family's life that could be called being devoted to prayer? As I said, this devotion to prayer won't be or look the same for every one of us. It will be different for all of us, but it will be something significant. Whatever prayer is for you, when it is done with a sincere heart and a dependence upon God, regardless of what it looks like, it will be significant. When we are devoted to prayer, when we pray with sincerity, it cleanses our hearts of self-righteousness and strips our motives of self-interest. It challenges the false inappropriate ways to approach God and each other. It reminds us of what we so easily forget, our proper relationship with God and our proper relationship with the world. While it's true being voted to prayer is the last spiritual discipline mentioned in Acts 2.42, being voted to prayer is not the end of the journey. Being devoted to prayer is not the end. It is the beginning, the middle and the end of our Christian walk. A devotion to prayer, a devotion to having whatever it is, whether it's on your knees, whether it's standing up, eyes open, eyes closed, in your closet, in a prayer meeting, wherever it is, it is you and your Father. Being devoted to prayer is falling in love with the one Jesus called our Father. That is what being devoted to prayer. For us, Prayer brings an adoration of being able to talk to the unsurpassable, glorious, personal, holy, infinite God. That's who you're talking to. Prayer is being able to talk with that God. Talking to him just as real as if you were talking to your own parents or your husband or your wives or your children. But more than just talking, the gift of prayer makes us realise that unsurpassable, that glorious, that personal, that holy, infinite God has become our daddy. You know, when I pray, I often say dad. I often call him dad. Julie spoke on. Being devoted to prayer is being devoted to his personal communion we now have with God, the Father, with his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We need to be devoted to prayer. And so with that in mind, I'm going to do two more things. At the end of our service today, if you would like prayer, come and see someone. Seriously, I don't think I can legitimately do something like this and say, if you need prayer, come. 
But let me tell you, and I think this is a problem with some churches, it's only people who come down the front are the ones who are coming down with burdens or problems. Do you know, I can remember I did this once and someone come down the front and they said, I don't need prayer, but man, I follow a mighty God and he's done this in my life this week. If you just want to come down and share what God's done in your life so we can pray together, then that's great because I want to say this. Being devoted to prayer is being devoted to family. It is being devoted to the Father, Jesus, Son, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And it is being devoted to one another and celebrating what God's done. We can now go to the King of Kings, the creator of the world. We can go to him and say, hey, Dad, our Daddy, as Paul calls him, that is how personal he has made this prayer. That is something truly Amazing. Just before I close, I'm going to do something. You know, I'm going to do this. Clive, can you come up here, please? I think, as I said, for me, prayer is a part of praying and celebrating together. Most of you are aware that on Tuesday, Clive is going to Government House to receive a very high honour. He is going to receive an Order of Australia Award. And, um, yeah, come on. I'm excited about this for one main reason. I can remember um, at the campsite, Michelle and I worked at in Adelaide, our bosses were nominated for the award. And they said, no, we don't want the award. But then they thought about it because the award was for their Christian service to youth in South Australia. And he said, there'll come a day when chances are we can't do what we do at Weirway and the government's going to stop us having a compulsory Christian program. But they're going to say, hang on, you've awarded us a very high honour for doing Christian service. And Clive knows that what he is receiving on Tuesday is for his Christian service to youth throughout the world. So it's not so much what Clive is receiving and it doesn't really point to Clive, and I know this because I've read his stuff, it points to God. What you are receiving points to your incredible service to that loving Heavenly Father. And you know, I am sure over your time you have been devoted to praying for children. I still, he comes every Tuesday and he still prays for the boys and girls of this world. And I'm sure you've prayed for many children and you've touched many children. But do you know for me what speaks volumes is that you've prayed for your own children and touched your own children. I'm sure you've spent many hours praying for your children. Well, this morning, I'm going to bless you by allowing one of your children to pray for you. And I'm asking Peter to come up, and he's going to pray for his dad, because I think this is what prayer is about. Prayer is about celebrating God's goodness and celebrating God's family. And so on behalf of all of us, congratulations, thank you, and as God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. What's happening, did you? <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for Dad, for Clive, and just the many years of service that he's been able to have for you. I thank you for the many lives that have been changed over many years because of the faithful ministry of Dad and uh, his humble service to you. We just pray that even now those lives that have been changed will continue to grow in you. We thank you for his continued service, that even though 
He's turning 90 soon, that he is still serving you in, in, uh, in youth at both the church and at Cairo. We just pray that you'll continue to use him in the years ahead. We thank you for the government and their recognition of this award and Dad's service to Christianity and his relationship with you. So, Father, we just, uh, again, thank you for Dad and uh, pray that you'll continue to use him. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks,